Life Audio. Faith Over Fear is brought to you by Life Audio and is part of our Faith Toolkit series. For more inspirational, faith-affirming podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. Hello. Welcome to the Faith Over Fear podcast, where we discuss powerful truths to counter anxiety and fear, big and small. At Holy Love Ministries, we are passionate about helping God's children discover, embrace, and experience soul, deep, emotional, and spiritual freedom. And we want to inspire you to share that freedom with others. We would love to connect with you online. Just visit our show notes to learn about one of our upcoming events, how to book one of our speakers for your next event, or simply how to connect with us. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with The King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith, and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. I'm Jennifer Slattery, and I've heard it said numerous times that often God will bring purpose from your pain. Or as he promised in Romans 8, 28, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Well, my guest today, Peter Ash, is living proof of that promise. Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me, Jennifer. So Peter Ash is a passionate Canadian philanthropist and entrepreneur who has albinism. And as a result of his disability, Christian faith and business background, Peter is motivated to do whatever he can to provide resources and assistance to people with albinism who have become victims of discrimination in Tanzania, throughout Africa and worldwide. Peter's educational background includes an undergraduate degree in theology and a master's in counseling and psychology. He's won numerous awards. I'm going to name some of them here. The 2014 Companionate of Merit, the 2014 President's Call to Service, the 2012 New England College of Optometry Presidential Medal, the 2012 Queen Elizabeth II Diamond Jubilee Medal, the 2011 British Columbia Community Achievement Award, and the 2011 V Award by Southern California College of Optometry. And really, that's just a sign of passion, right? That that yeah, comes is. from a story that resonates really deeply and that resonates, I, I know our listeners will come to understand, resonates with the Father's heart. Peter is the founder and CEO of Under the Same Sun, 
a Christ-centered organization that provides support, education, and advocacy for people with albinism, many of whom experience extreme persecution in various places in our world. And am I correct to say that many of the people you reach and help are actually children? Yeah, the vast majority of the victims of these attacks, which we'll get into later, are young people, children. That's really heartbreaking, but I love, I love, love, love how your organization under the same sun is actively speaking life and hope into these wounded hearts. And you're really transforming lives and cultures across the globe. And I know, I know your journey hasn't been easy. I've watched a bit of your testimony. And so I, I know your journey wasn't easy. And, and I imagine you walked through seasons of pretty deep pain when you when you were growing up. And and so what was it like growing up with albinism? Well, thanks, Jennifer. I always tell people growing up, I was born and raised in Montreal, Canada. And I always tell people, for me, my growing up experience, it involves kind of two realities. I'm the youngest of three boys in my family. The firstborn, my, my oldest brother, Paul, was born with albinism. And so albinism is a rare genetic condition that in Canada and the U.S. affects 1 in 18,000 people. So I always tell people, to know somebody like me, you need to know 18,000 people. So unless you have 18,000 <laughs> friends, you probably don't know somebody like me. It's an extremely rare, recessively inherited genetic disorder. And what recessive inheritance means in this case is that both parents need to carry the gene. So but both my mom and dad, completely unawares to them, carried the gene for albinism. And when both parents carry the gene, they have a one in four chance with each pregnancy that a child will be born with albinism. And so my brother Paul, much to their surprise, was born with white hair, just like you see that I have, and light skin and light-colored eyes. My dad had jet black hair. He's of European descent, as did my mom, had brown hair. So they could not figure out where this white-haired baby boy came from. And the doctors, in fact, at that hospital in Montreal, at that time, had never seen a child with albinism born. Oh, wow. They actually didn't know what it was. They just said, well, you have a fair-haired child. They didn't even diagnose him as having this condition. Uh, They just took him home and thought, for some oddball reason, we have this kid with white hair. My mom noticed as the months went by that my brother, Paul, that his vision wasn't quite normal. He wasn't focusing on objects like other babies his age. And his vision seemed to be something wrong with it. So she brought him to a pediatric eye doctor who examined him and said, this child is an albino, which is the term that was prevalent in the day. Today, we prefer the term persons with albinism, which I can get into later. But the the doctor said, this child's an albino. He's going to have pretty much a miserable life. He's blind. Back in the day, 60 years ago, people who are severely visually impaired were put in schools for the blind, and they weren't integrated into mainstream education as they are today. And so he'll make brooms in a broom factory and his life won't be much, but sorry, that's all I can tell you. And that's what my mom was told. And my mom, being the kind of determined woman she is, didn't take that Pretty well. Bad. And she said, forget this doctor. And she went and found a different doctor, another eye doctor who examined my brother and said, well, yes, he does have albinism. That's correct. But with the right rate accommodations and assistive devices and coaching and education, he'll be fine. Wow. And my mom said, that's what I wanted to hear. And that's kind of what she went with. And th- back in the day, there was no special resources in the public school system for kids with albinism or kids with disabilities in general. It was kind of a segregation model that's since changed in most, most of the Western world. But they worked it through. My brother successfully completed school and went on to get his undergraduate and his master's, as did I. He had several wow. careers, one in computer programming, one in business, one in church ministry. So everything that doctor predicted about my brother was completely wrong. He didn't end up in a room factory with a, a life that amounted to nothing because my mother just didn't accept that. But if, just think if my mom had passively accepted what that doctor said and put him in that, how his life might have been different. Wow. And um, so she was a very determined woman who really made our lives at home quite normal. And so our middle brother, David, 
doesn't have albinism. And so he was actually, oddly enough, in our family, he always felt like the black sheep, literally, because uh, he, he had the dark hair like my parents. He actually wondered sometimes if he was adopted. Normally, you would have one child in the family with albinism, not two. So that was pretty mm-hmm. unusual in our family. But growing up at home, my life felt quite normal. But as soon as I would leave home and go on to the public bus or in the street, I lived in inner city Montreal, big city. And I lived in a poorer neighborhood that, that you know was a little bit of a rougher neighborhood. And so when I would go around the city on the bus, I would get called names, you know, Whitey, Snow White, a Snowman. I would get stared at, you know, talked about, whispered behind my back, that kind of stuff. So that was pretty normal for me growing up. But when I came home, I was Peter. I was their their son and their brother and nothing felt any different. So that really gave me the strength and fortitude to realize that my mom would always tell me when these people say things about you like that, it's their problem. It's not yours. And don't believe them because they're wrong. And God made you the way you are and you're special and unique. And don't believe don't believe what they say, which really gave me the, the fortitude when I was bullied or beat up or whatever at school, which I was several times. I'd come home upset and my mom would say, you know, how many kids in your school look like you? And I'd say, nobody, mom, that's the problem. I'm the only one. And she said, that just means you're unique, that God made you in a very special way. And so she would reframe you know, how people would talk about me, which really, to this day, attribute to a large part of any success I might have been fortunate enough to have in my life. Wow. We know I'm just looking at the kind of the trickle effect of God's kingdom, right? And so your mom, she spoke life and hope into you that and your brother and you guys rose to God's calling and now you're helping others. And I just wonder, and we'll get to the part where, you know, you launched your ministry, but I wonder how many moms right now in those countries that you are investing in and advocating in are going to have another Peter, you know, that's yeah. going to raise. And actually, that's a very good point, because one of the challenges in the African context, especially as it relates to, to people with this genetic condition, because albinism occurs in every race of people. So it doesn't matter if you're of Asian descent or African descent or you're European. Albinism actually is one of the few genetic disorders that exists not only in every race of people, but in every species of animal and plant as well. And so it's quite a pervasive genetic disorder. And But unfortunately, there's a lot of uh, myths and misunderstandings about the condition. And so moms in many, uh, like in Tanzania, for example, where we spent most of our time, were the, the cultural myth is that the mother is responsible for this child having albinism. And uh, it was her fault, in quotes. And so you, quite universally, for a long period of time, the fathers would abandon the family the moment the child with albinism is born and blame the mother for bringing this defective child, this curse into the family. And so now the mother is left destitute and also socially isolated because she doesn't have a husband raising this child with albinism and other children she might have. And so from the time the child is born, he, he or she gets the message that not only do they have a challenge or a difference or a disability, but their presence has basically destroy the family or, or curse the family because they were born, their mother's in a horrible situation. So could you imagine going around with the guilt of knowing because of your very existence, your family was shattered, right? Yeah, not just that, but just the the soul wounds of having your very identity yeah. attack. I meant, so is that, do you see that a lot of, is there a journey? So I know you do a lot of education yeah. with, and, and I watched one of your videos, like, you have schools, is that correct? Yeah. Schools? So let me just give you a really yeah. quick summary of how it all got started. Sure. It'll make sense then. My career, my careers have been twofold. I spent a good portion of my career in in pastoral ministry. I was theologically educated, did that for about a decade. Then I went into business, finance, and real estate, and then kind of came full circle out of business back into carrying on my business activities, but also starting this ministry that we have under the same sun. And as I was at that place in my life where I had been successful in my business, but felt like the Lord was calling me back into some kind of ministry work, and I was praying and seeking what that might be. And the idea of albinism had come to my mind because I'd vaguely heard something years earlier about the challenges people with albinism have in the African context. And so I began searching online one night and I came across an article on the BBC website and there was the front page at the time. And there was a woman who had gone undercover in Tanzania 
in East Africa because she had heard, this is a BBC reporter, a Tanzanian lady, and she had heard that people of albinism, children, were being attacked and killed for their body parts in Northwest Tanzania. And she wanted to investigate whether or not these rumors were true. And so she actually went undercover pretending to be a businesswoman. And she went to traditional healers or witch doctors and say, look, I'm a, a businesswoman because the theory was that if you were wanting to be successful or lucky, you'd go to a witch doctor and he would give you either objects to use or potions to use or spells to say that would create good luck. And so she pretended to be a businesswoman who wanted to get successful and tried to find a witch doctor who would sell her the body parts of a person with albinism. And it was very dangerous, which she did. She went into really dangerous communities, but she did manage to find a witch doctor who, unbeknownst to him, she had a hidden camera in her hat and she captured the whole thing on video. Wow. He said, I can get you the body parts of someone with albinism, and you can watch that footage to this day on the BBC website. And she basically captured that footage, and then she went back and contacted the BBC in London, and she said, you know, do you want to run this? And they said, yes, let's run it. She then had to leave the country because she started getting death threats. It became clear to her that the witch doctors found out who she was, and they wanted to silence her. It was around this time that I found this article, that this is all happening. In fact, when I first found it, she was actually outside of Tanzania and Kenya, for her safety. And I talked to her. I tracked her down. It wasn't easy. So the Canadian embassy in Tanzania, her and I finally connected. I told her that I am a guy from Canada with albinism. I'm a Christian. and I feel God's called me to this to help the, my people in Tanzania. And I'd like to see if her and I could somehow collaborate. And uh, we began to talk. And um, I remember our first phone call. I prayed for her because she told me ever since this, the death threats had started coming, she hadn't been able to sleep at night. And because of, of the fear she was in. Yeah. I asked her, I said, can I pray for you? And I prayed for her at the end of the call. And uh, then we ended up talking a couple of weeks later, and she said, I've slept really well ever since you prayed for me. Wow. Thank you for that. And so our connection began, and she, uh, she and I ended up connecting, and she became the first director of our organization. She left the BBC, and she came and worked for us and started our branch in Tanzania for Under the Same Sun. Wow. That's a beautiful, very beautiful story. And just God's timing and your perseverance too, though. You know, you said it wasn't easy, easy to find her. What did you wrestle with when you first sensed God calling you into this new arena? Well, for one thing, I, and I remember during my, uh, my undergraduate, my Bible college days, hearing missionaries talk about work in Africa. And I always remember saying to myself, I don't want to go there. You know, they would talk about witchcraft. They would talk about the challenges of ministry in that cultural context. And I thought, that's not my thing. I'll just, you know, pastor a church over here and in Canada and I'll be, I'll do my, my, my ministry over here that just didn't feel it wasn't even like that was a part of the world they wanted to visit. It wasn't even on my bucket list of places. Gee, it'd be cool to visit there. And now I found myself after seeing this article, I went to bed that night and didn't sleep well. And my wife the next morning said, I noticed you didn't sleep well last night. What What's up? And I told her this article that I had found in this video I had seen. And I said, I think I have to go to Tanzania. And I said, I don't even know where Tanzania is. I had to actually get a globe out and find out. I knew it was in Africa somewhere, but I had to find out where in Africa it was. And I remember telling my assistant at the time, book me a ticket, I'm going to Tanzania. And I didn't know the language, didn't know the culture, but I did know that these were my people because people with albinism, regardless of uh, race, we share the same genetic code and we have a bond with each other. And so I viewed them as my brothers and sisters that needed my help. And I didn't know how I was going to help or if I could help, but I knew I had to do something. And there's that quote that says, all that is necessary for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. Yeah. And I knew that I didn't have the option of doing nothing. And yeah. God called me in a way that I've never been called before. The strong calling I had to this was stronger than I even had to pastoral ministry. It was clearer. Wow. It was, it was undeniably clear. It was bordering on audible. And um, wow. uh, it was that clear in my spirit that Peter, God said, Peter, you have to go. And I remember my wife telling me, well, 
you know, they kill people with albinism in this yeah. country, right? And I said, yeah. And she said, and you want to, you have albinism, right? And I said, yeah, and you want to <laughs> go there, right? Just so I'm clear. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I said, yeah, I do. Were you afraid or, or did you just so filled with the Holy Spirit? You're like, I'm, that's it. I'm you know, to be honest, I really wasn't afraid. Uh-huh. I probably should have been more afraid, but I, I feel, I felt in my heart that if God called me to this, mm-hmm. he wouldn't call me to this for no reason. And I just trusted that he would take care of me. And my, my wife was a little concerned as, as a wife normally would be. And so she told me, when you go there, if you go to the part of the country where these killings are happening, please don't tell me about it until you get home because I don't want yeah. to worry about it. <laughs> and so I said, fine. And of course, I came home and told her and she said, I knew you'd go there. <laughs> she knew me well enough to know that I'm a risk taker. So we were there. And at that time, there was a lot of killings and uh, attacks happening, like happening quite frequently of children who were being attacked for their body parts and their skin and their hair and their blood. And on my first trip, I went into the city of Mwanza, which is in the lake zone in northwest Tanzania, but an hour out of the city, to a site in a small village in a humble humble little home. Um, and a couple of weeks before my arrival, the little girl had been murdered. Her name was Mariam. And I went into her bedroom where she was attacked and, and dismembered. And I saw there was still bloodstains on the floor on the, on the scene of the crime. And the grandfather, the father had abandoned the family. So the grandfather and the mother were there and they told me the story of how it all happened. And um, it was quite graphic and quite, it was some I saw photographs of her mutilated body. And sadly, we have a catalog of such photographs um, Sorry. from across Tanzania and across Africa. We maintain probably the world's only record of these. And we want to honor these people who have who've died in this way. And I was moved. And I realized after I heard that story that something needed to be done. And I realized the problem was big and complex. And I had no training on how to do this in terms of starting a group like this. And But I did have determination. And I did have a heart. And so I came to the end of the, at the end of that meeting. I came to the conclusion that we had to start some kind of work there. There wasn't anything in the country. I, from my recollection at, at that time, I was the first, first person with albinism from a Western country to visit Tanzania. So most people there didn't believe I had albinism. They just figured I was a white guy with light hair because you have to understand in their context, mom and dad are black, they're dark skinned. And so a child with albinism really stands out in an African context. They're as white as I am, right? But to them, white people are all the same. So I'm just a white guy. <laughs> So I have to explain and convince that I have it. Once they got that I had it, it actually helped them a lot because they realized the stigma. Because a lot of these mothers believed that it only happened in their village or in Tanzania. And it was some kind of curse, a unique curse against them from a demon or, or whatever. And once you normalize that this was genetic condition, all of that guilt that these mothers were carrying fell away. And they were able to be free from that God. guilt, you know. Yeah. So it was it was it was very moving that that time, that very first visit. Yeah. Well, I I saw one video, too, which I don't want to be too, you know, too graphic for our listeners. But I think this they did a interview. So your assistant sent me some some clips and things, interviewed two boys and one had his hand cut off when he was four. And that was really, really hard to see. And just thinking for these boys, I mean, it's great that they're finding community and they're getting support. And reframing of what they have endured, but it's hard to see. It is, you know, yeah, the, it's hard to see. Yeah, yeah. I, I've uh, sadly seen it both in Tanzania and in other countries. Not that long ago, we went to Zambia and saw the same thing. Uh, survivors of attacks. Under the same sun is probably the only organization that has seen this and does this difficult work. And I'll be honest, one of the challenges we have sometimes in causing people in a Western context to connect with our ministry is that it's upsetting. And it's also difficult to understand. For one thing, there's a, a lot of people don't know what albinism is. It's, that's understandable. It's rare in, 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 you know, North America and Europe. And secondly, the whole concept of witchcraft and demonization is not well understood in this part of the world. And the graphic nature of these mutilations is not for the faint hearted. 
we've seen too many. And I've always, sadly, you know, we've seen so many from so many countries that I always prayed to God that I wouldn't be like a surgeon conducting surgery with cauterized hands. I didn't want to get too used to it. And sadly, after a while, you do. And that's to some degree a coping mechanism, right? It's like you talk right. to a first responder who has to deal with trauma and they have to find a way of coping when they show up at the scene of a crime, right? That's normal and that's appropriate that you find ways to to do that. But you always want to make sure your heart is attached that this person, you want to be detached enough to care and intervene and support and not, not have your emotional crisis in that moment. But you want to file, feel attached enough to deeply care and be, be involved. And I think we've, we've maintained that over the years, our team. But the good news for us on the flip side of all the darkness is that the Lord has enabled us to open a lot of doors and make a lot of changes. And our program really focuses on two things, education, putting children with albinism in private high-quality English immersion schools in Tanzania, because education really is the way out of discrimination and poverty in that context. And our students have been educated and graduated university and are over an 80% employment rate. Wow, that's awesome. And people university, people with albinism never had university degrees in Tanzania when I showed up there. It was extremely rare. And so that's been a hopeful thing. Our graduates are people of confidence and education that still are traumatized because some of them have lost limbs in our program. They, they live with, some of our students are victims of these attacks. Some of them are siblings of people who lost their limbs or neighbors from the same village of people who did. And, and the trauma is not just the relatively, the vast majority of people with albinism in Tanzania or in African countries aren't attacked. Most of them end up dying of skin cancer. But even if you're not attacked, every time someone in your city or village is attacked, you live in fear and you have a psychological trauma. And I, I always give people the analogy, pretend you have brown hair and you live in a certain suburb of, let's say in my case, Vancouver. And the police are announcing that there's a serial killer that's dismembering people with brown hair in a Vancouver suburb. And could you imagine if your children have brown hair going to bed at night, how you'd feel? And if the next morning you read that yet another one was killed two blocks away, how you would conduct your life as a person with brown hair. And yeah. that's what's happening because they were being targeted simply because they had all yeah. yeah. And before their brain can even process that type, I mean, nobody can process that type of evil, yeah. but still at a very young age. I, I'm curious. What has this shown you, your involvement and your intimacy with Christ as you kind of walk forward? What has this shown you about our Father's heart? Well, it shows me that two things. It shows me the power of, on the heels of Easter, I'll say, the power of the resurrection. I don't want to use this tritely because it's deep. The power of life over death. Amen. Because these kids have seen death, literally, and physically, and emotionally, and spiritually, in a way that children shouldn't ever see. And yet, when I'm with our kids, most of whom I'm call me father to this day, because most of them don't have fathers. Their fathers almost wow. always abandon them. I've been with them for 13, 14 years. And they have a smile and they have a joy despite their trauma and come home every time inspired by their determination and their success. And they are not living in a victim mentality at all. In fact, way less than most of us in this part of the world. Wow. Um, uh, there's no victimization in their language at all. It's all about what I can do if I work hard. And I have four rules that I've given my kids every time they memorize them. They're called Peter's Four Rules. Rule number one is believe in God. Rule number two is believe in yourself. And rule number three is work hard. And rule number four is have fun. These kids have applied those rules diligently for over a decade into their lives, moving through school. And many of them are top performers academically in schools that are not for disabled kids. These are fully integrated regular schools, private schools nonetheless, with higher standards. And many of our students are in the top 10% with a visual impairment. So, you know, when you see what this has been for me, it's been proof what I've always believed. And that if you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. You teach a man how to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. And I don't believe in 
pity. I believe in empathy and I believe in support. And I believe that people with albinism will solve their own problem by coming by becoming different people. And my Christian faith would not have this wouldn't have been possible without our faith, because for one thing, on a practical level, you're taking on witchcraft. Amen. Yeah. So this is the scriptures are clear about witchcraft. And so it is literally the powers of hell that you are combating. And these children have been attacked and affected by that. So you have to go in with a covering of prayer all the time. You have to go in in the power of the Holy Spirit and with a lot of support. And I just find that if you preach to the kids the power of God in their lives, Amen. they listen and they learn yep. and, they, and yep. they follow it. And then they light up their world. Like you can just think long term. Totally yeah, you're going into a one of the sounds like some of the darkest areas and yeah. you're bringing light and life in Christ. Yeah. Ironically, what, what they are calling evil and you're saying like this is light and life and yeah. you're fighting back the forces of darkness. That's really a powerful thing. And they become ambassadors for change because the discrimination is the fallout, right? So when you when a child with albinism or a person with albinism in most African contexts walks down the street, they're called names, they're sneered at. Employment's difficult. Discrimination is systemic for hundreds of years in the continent against people with albinism. And so, and even in the churches, I remember my early days in Tanzania, I'd preach in churches of various denominations and there would be a church of, you know, a thousand people and they'd be not a single person with albinism in the church. And this is in a country where one in 1,500 people have albinism, an exceedingly high rate compared to most of the world. You, you go on any street in any city, you'll see them within five minutes. And yet the churches would not have anybody in the church. Wow. And so I would publicly rebuke the church from the pulpit. And I'd say, you know, you claim to share the love of God and reach out to your community. Where are your brothers and sisters with albinism? How come they're not here? And I said, I hope and expect that next time I come back, there might be somebody here. And you'd hear a pin drop. And I would expose witchcraft in my messages. And that would also be uncomfortable. And here's a message for your for our listeners in, in various contexts, but we'll focus for the moment on the Western context. What I noticed in Tanzania and other parts of Africa is that there's a lot of people who go to church on Sunday and worship the Lord. And they'll go see the witch doctor on Monday. Wow. Now, for, for us, it's easy to sit back and say, well, how could they do that? It's not consistent with their faith. How could they worship at a different altar on Monday? I would say, great question. What's different is that we go to church on Monday and we worship the God of materialism. Yeah. We, we go to church yeah. on Sunday and worship the God of materialism on Monday. Yeah. So we, we worship different demons, different idols. Yeah. yeah. But driven by the, the same, driven by the same enemy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so it's called syncretism. It's where you... You worship Christ and somebody else. Yeah. And so I think that problem is a universal problem that spans all cultures. Maybe it looks different in each culture, but where are our affections? Where, who, are, what, who and what are we right. serving right. beyond, beyond Christ, right? Right. Well, I, I want to go back to, you know, you talked about how, and I, and I totally get it. Like, it's hard. We don't like to be uncomfortable. We don't like to hear hard stories because it hurts. It does, and it should hurt. Yeah. And, and we've gotten really adept at, at squashing our pain and, and distracting yeah. ourselves. But I would say to myself, and to our listeners, they may not be called to go across overseas, right? And be part of your ministry. Yeah. But everybody has a role that they can play. And yes. so let's just talk about some of the ways. Like, I know for me, God says, hey, you've got a voice. Use your voice. Yes. Use your voice to elevate those who are are making a dramatic impact. And and quite frankly, I you are making a dramatic impact. You are you are creating life change, not even not even just for those with albinism. I mean, I think that's that's awesome and powerful. But I really th I see it as just a big kingdom expansion as well. You know, kind of the inroads. And so people can have a voice. And and I think, too. So I did go on your website and there were different things listed. I, I do want to give our listeners one idea that's yeah, super, super easy that I didn't recognize was super Super easy, but you can organize a fundraiser at like Panera or any of your mo so many local restaurants. Just get a bunch of friends together, show up with handouts, and and then you can write a check to Under the yeah. Sun. So that's one way. What yeah. what are some other ways you would suggest? Well, we've seen all kinds of things. We've seen there's a some supporters of ours in Florida to 
elderly ladies who are Christian teachers, retired school teachers, and they have a women's group in their church and they pray for us and our ministry and their family foundation supports us and they do fundraisers. We have a school here in Vancouver, I was just speaking at yesterday, that has taken on our charity and does fundraisers, all kinds of activities. So, you know, churches have missions groups, men's groups, women's groups, youth groups, whatever it may be, Sunday school groups, where you can educate people about the cause. You know, our, our website has resources. We'll send people resources. We'll give them the education. We'll, if there's a group of people in a city that has significant interest, we'll even potentially bring in a staff member if there's enough interest and, and bring in a presentation. So, you know, what, what people need to understand is that you can make a difference, first, certainly by praying for our ministry, also by on social media. It's such a powerful tool that we've seen used, sadly, yes. in damaging ways in our culture, but we can use this in a positive yes. way to say, yes. Here's the Facebook page uh, yeah. for this group. And maybe you're not in a position to be able to uh, give a lot, but maybe you know somebody who is, or maybe somebody in your circle has the capacity to do something that you maybe you can't do. Yeah, yeah. Well, and uh, even so I think, something. yeah, well, and two, you know, everyone's like, well, $5, but you're like, okay, well, if there's like a thousand people who do $5, $5, exactly. That's, that's pretty big for in yeah. Tanzania, right? So, and, and, you know, we have different programs where you can contribute like a monthly gift to help a child with albinism go to school, you know, at $25 a month or whatever you can afford. Because all of these kids are in private schools that we have to pay tuition for. Okay. And because these kids are mostly orphans, many of them have been abandoned uh-huh. by their families. We don't have to just pay tuition. We have to pay for their clothing, their shoes, their toothpaste, okay. uh, their medical expenses. We are their legal guardians. And so UTSS has all of these things. So we need a lot of supporters to come along. This summer in yeah. August, uh, we're doing a summer camp. We do this every three years. Uh, where we bring all of our students together in Tanzania. And um, my son and I and many other volunteers are going over. And it's a Bible camp. So we do uh, scripture education. We do music. We do all kinds of different skill sets. And all of our students from kindergarten university will be there. So there's a cost bringing all of those kids into that place for that camp. But it's life changing because a lot of them don't have the supports of their communities. They don't have those recreational opportunities. You have to remember, most of our kids live in boarding schools. And because of the threat to people with albinism, they're not permitted off the compound, which, by the way, has a fence around it and a security guard who's often armed. And they can't leave the compound unless they have an adult with them. So can you imagine your, your child's whole life? They can't go in the village and play freely like his friends can because someone might abduct him or her. And so these children are institutionalized, yeah. which is not great for them, but it's the only way to keep them safe in their yeah. cases, right? Yeah, yeah, So, So there's it, all of that to say, our kids are flourishing and they're doing well, but standing with us in your support, yeah. like whether it be, you know, as something as simple as a bake sale or a marathon or whatever you want to do. We have lots of ideas. We have a department that can okay. reach out to people. If they just check out our website under the same sun.com, check out our Facebook page. You know, we'll, we can we can provide it. I'm your yeah. resources. Well, and I'll put all that in the, the show notes as well. And I would just remind our listeners to not only are you dramatically changing the lives of humans, right, and, and giving them hope in life, but this is a kingdom impact that you are bringing the gospel into some really dark areas. And that's really powerful. And we're all called to do that. So yeah. can I actually, can I pray with you right yeah, now? Is great. that okay? That'd be fantastic. And I'm just going to invite our listeners. So I invite you to pray with us as well. And then I'm I'm also going to encourage you to watch the videos when we get, uh, after you get done listening to this, but let's go ahead and, and pray for, for Peter and his organization now. Holy Father, we just thank you so much for Peter and the work he is doing for you, the lives he has changed. We thank you for your heart that is revealed through this, your heart to see healing and hope and life and your heart to defend and protect and and to liberate and to break the chains of oppression. And we thank you that you are doing that through this organization. We thank you for how the gospel is expanding. I thank you for Peter's courage and his inspiration. I pray unity over his team, strength and, and determination. 
that their rest would be efficient. Lord, we just pray that you would stir the hearts of, of listeners to check out this organization with an open heart, with a prayerful mind and heart, and that that you would draw people to come alongside. Lord, anytime we lift your son high, anytime we proclaim the gospel, you're in it, you're behind us, and we experience you on a deeper level. And that is how our world is changed. So I just pray for blessing and favor upon Peter, upon his marriage, and upon this organization. We just ask that you would multiply, that you would expand their their reach, that you would keep the funds coming, that the schools would be places of healing and hope and, and inspiration, and that these children that you're raising up, where we know they're going to change the world, just like Peter did, because someone spoke life into him. And so we know these children are going to raise up and they're going to change the world. And we just thank you that you are preparing hearts now what you're going to do tomorrow. We praise you for that. And it's in the name of your son, our victorious savior, that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, to our listeners, thank you for listening. If you haven't done so, we encourage you to subscribe to this podcast. Then you won't miss a single episode. And be sure to share it on social media. We would be very encouraged if you would rate it as well. This helps others to find it and it encourages our team. Until next time, may you live with the courage of one who has truly been set free. Faith Over Fear is a production of Life Audio and Salem Media. If you liked what you heard today, please take a second to rate and review this podcast in your favorite podcast app so that more listeners like you can find the show. For more faith-filled, inspirational podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. Finding uplifting news in today's headlines is often like searching for a needle in a haystack. At the Story Behind podcast, we believe in the power of finding heartwarming tales and are happy to share empowering stories with you every week. Hear about how Steve Harvey surprised a dying man on Family Feud with $25,000. Get inspired by the note a waitress received from a patron dining alone. And even hear about how one VIP passenger made a hardworking pilot get emotional before his flight. To start listening to the Story Behind podcast, visit lifeaudio.com or search Story Behind on your favorite podcast platform.